Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. An equipment malfunction meant that the introduction and beginning of the closing keynote speech was not recorded. So we join Ed Vasey, the Minister for Culture, Communications and Creative Industries, about 30 seconds in. Technology over the past decade has, of course, been uh, breathtaking. We've all got anecdotes. All of us are just about old enough in this room to remember when we first got our first mobile phone. Now we can't uh, live without our smartphones. Technology does touch everybody's life, uh, even if they never switch on a computer. In the last 10 years, it's revolutionized television, music, films, phones, uh, almost anything you care to think of. It's revolutionized the content industries. It's revolutionized uh, retail. And with new products and new techniques have come new businesses and jobs, plus the competitiveness and skills challenges that come with them. And obviously, I don't have to tell you that this is only the start. The revolution, revolution that digitization can bring about, not only in how we work, but how we all live, is only just beginning. The potential of digital technologies to drive future growth is one of the reasons we're all here today. Uh, the programme of speakers today has been both distinguished uh, and diverse, I'm told. It reflects the vast array of knowledge and experience that is available in this country. It reflects the importance that those of us who believe in a bigger, more open and more equal society must attach to the building of a networked infrastructure accessible to and affordable by everyone, used by everyone and which benefits uh, everyone. Now, as you all know, we've launched our broadband strategy. We launched it uh, Monday uh, a week ago, which shows our commitment to getting uh, super fast broadband out to as many people as possible by the end of 2015. Uh, we've set aside something like uh, £830 million in order to achieve that. Uh, we expect additional money potentially to come from obviously the private sector, BT and Virgin Media and others, uh, as well as potentially from local authorities and possibly European funding. So there is a substantial amount of funding available for the Royal Out of Superfast Broadband. It's also important to remember that there are two sides to that coin. Uh, there's a deregulatory agenda as well to make it as easy as possible for network providers to access ducts and poles and to get uh, rid of as many regulatory hurdles as we can in order to drive down the cost of rolling out uh, superfast broadband. We have been on a learning curve, not ministers or indeed officials, but even uh, providers themselves. The industry day we had in July uh, was a real step change in terms of how people are engaged in this program. Uh, and the four pilots we announced as well, which are technology neutral, will also be a significant step change in learning how to uh, roll out superfast broadband as a low cost as possible. It's common uh, perhaps to uh, downplay where we are in terms of uh, broadband in this country. But across a whole range of metrics, we might perhaps be slightly slower in terms of speed, but we're certainly up the league tables in terms of competition and cost, and those are all important factors to take into account when you're considering uh, where we stand in terms of broadband uh, rollout. And it's also uh, important to remember that we've also set forward an e-accessibility agenda. And I know that this is about, this conference is about a network nation and getting as many people onto the internet as possible. Uh, and it's important not to lose sight of 
that program as well. Uh, and that's another reason why I want to pay tribute to the work that Race Online 2012 and Martha Lane Fox are already doing to help shape how we in this country go about grasping the opportunities that digitization offers for the future. Her work is turning the dream of making the UK the first nation in the world where everyone can use the web into reality. It's a very big society project. There's very little government money involved. It involves uh, Martha cajoling and leading with her energy and enthusiasm. And now she has some 850 commercial partners to help make her vision a reality by the end of 2012. And I really do think what she's doing is absolutely extraordinary. And it's quite uh, uh, nice for me as a politician, as it were, or perhaps shameless of me as a politician, to use Martha as an example when we're talking with our European partners or indeed the uh, European Commissioner, Neely Kroos, as a very good example, as it were, of a grassroots project uh, that is really engaging a whole range of stakeholders in a very flexible, non-bureaucratic way to use every weapon available to get as many people uh, online as possible. I know that during the day all of you have been looking at how to create a network nation with the help of bodies as diverse as Microsoft, Treehouse, and not, least, not the least important contribution of digital technology to democratic discourse in this country, which is, of course, Mumsnet. I have yet to uh, engage in a debate with Mumsnet. I have been invited to talk about libraries, but uh, no one has yet offered me a date. I look forward to it with enormous uh, trepidation, uh, and uh, I hope that that can happen uh, soon. I gather that the panel discussing innovation, looking at what's new now, was similarly diverse and thought-provoking. And we must never forget that our aim is not to develop and use new technologies for their own sake, but also to ensure that they enrich and improve the society in which we live and the economy upon which it depends. So the government places a high priority on transferring new knowledge to those who have ideas for new services and applications that can be turned into effective and sustainable new businesses and consumer experiences. It's worth recalling, uh, obviously, that the Prime Minister announced, as it were, the launch of Silicon uh, Roundabout in the East End. I think that's a smart way for the public sector and the private sector to come together, bringing the Olympic legacy uh, to life in terms of the creative industries and the network nation. But I think it's also important that we don't do ourselves down, as it were. I'm constantly asked, it's almost impossible to go to any seminar uh, about the creative industries and new technology uh, for people to say, you know, how do we become uh, Silicon Valley? But I think we are Silicon Valley in many ways. I think we are Europe's Silicon Valley. I think London uh, is as much Europe's Silicon Valley as almost anywhere else in Europe, Cambridge and Oxford and other places as well. So we have a huge base on which to build on, and I think this country is seen certainly around Europe by people developing technology businesses uh, as a good place to do uh, business. Most recently, the panel discussion was asking whether the internet has a future. Uh, and I thought that uh, in catching the closing remarks, particularly uh, Benjamin's uh, summing up in terms of how we access the internet, uh, is a very interesting and provocative uh, question. And given my forays into this area in the last few weeks, it would be absolutely uh, uh, well, it would be quite uh, dangerous for me to try and answer it, but I do think that there is an interesting question in terms of trying to define what the Internet is. Now that you have, as it were, 
the consumer experience taking place. Potentially, it will take place simply on the television as we get converged television. It may take place simply on particular preferred uh, website, and that is an interesting debate for everyone to engage in. Uh, what I have said and say firmly again is that I believe in the future of an open internet where consumers have access to all legal content. The fact that the internet has developed freely is the reason why it remains the most powerful means of conveying information and opinions that has ever existed. There is a balance to be struck and should it develop in a way that endangers the interests of ordinary consumers, then central government has the option to prevent anti-competitive behaviour using Ofcom's regulatory powers and the 2011 EU framework. <coughs> Finding the right way forward on such issues is vital to all businesses, public services, communities and individuals in the UK. The one thing I would say about my speech on the open uh, internet is that I do think it provokes a much-needed debate in this country about the way forward. It's interesting that I didn't say anything particularly different from what either the EU Commission or indeed Ofcom have said in the past, but it seemed for some reason to get an enormously <coughs> increased amount of attention, which I absolutely welcome. And I also hope that the debate can take place on sensible grounds. I can't see anything in my speech which implied that the average small business would suddenly have to go around to individual ISPs uh, begging for uh, access. I would like to think the speech was more... Uh, sophisticated and nuanced uh, than that. And that is certainly uh, not on anybody's agenda, whatever diverse definition of net neutrality people might want to take. I also want to say a quick word about our uh, review, our growth review, and how it affects the digital and uh, creative industries, because this is an important opportunity for uh, people in this room to get involved in the debate about how to take forward policy on the creative industries. We want to elaborate a coherent growth programme for these industries from the budget next spring to the end of this parliament uh, and indeed uh, beyond. And I think uh, the other point I'd like to make is that the definition of creative industries or indeed digital industries is becoming uh, extremely blurred as well. The reference to the instruments from the Philomonia brings that point, I think, uh, very much home. Because as well as looking after communications and the creative industries, I do look after culture. Uh, and it seems bizarre, but it is nevertheless true that now our museums, our performing arts organizations are as much, as it were, digital industries uh, as anything else. And organizations like the Arts Council also need to be in for, uh, part of this debate and spurring uh, harnessing the innovation that a lot of our performing arts organisations are undertaking in this sphere and disseminating uh, that in innovation uh, around the cultural industries. I hope that uh, some of the people in this room are going to feed evidence and views into the joint BIS and DCMS Digital and Creative Industries Growth Review. The deadline is only a week away, but I would encourage everyone here to look at the call and contribute if they possibly can. We want the review to focus mostly on those creative industries which depend on intellectual property and digital technology. It includes video games, publishing, TV, radio, film, music, fashion, social media, but also software, the software needed to support and develop these industries securely and robustly. The ensuing action will not only be about tackling impediments, barriers and shortages of resources, 
but also identifying where we are strong, knowledgeable, experienced, innovative, and how we can best ensure that we can remain so. Your expertise can be an important part of that process, and I know that you'll have views on many things that are relevant to this work. Some of you will be concerned by regulatory barriers or employment and environmental issues. Many will be frustrated at the international intellectual property framework's inability so far to keep pace with technological change. And as you know, uh, we've commissioned Ian Hargreaves to look at um, uh, the future of IP in a digital age. Others will point to failures in the competition regime, to blockages in the skills system, or to problems gaining access to finance and business support, which is a huge issue for the creative industries. And I think all of us who have thoughts about how to ensure, uh, all of us will have thoughts about how to ensure that we exploit to the maximum benefit possible what we have already. There is certainly no shortage of questions, but in this field, as in others, neither I nor the government collectively can pretend that we have all the answers. Nor, indeed, can we claim to be the only source of the new ideas and insights that may eventually lead to answers. It's only by working in partnership with you that we can hope to find a satisfactory strategy for reaping the full potential of the digital age for Britain. And when I speak of partnership, I certainly don't mean the perfunctory consultation arrangements that we've sometimes seen over recent years, but a constructive and ongoing relationship. That is going to make demands on both of my departments and others in finding new and more open ways of working. But as David Cameron noted in his recent speech to business in the community, it will also make demands of the digital industries as well. So I hope that those industries will take the trouble to get involved and employ some of the creative creativity uh, that has made our digital industries one of the crown jewels of our economy. I look forward to seeing your ideas for the future in due course, but in the meantime, it only remains for me to thank you for contributing to today's discussions and to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope you're all sending e-cards. <laughs> Thanks very much, uh, Ed, for that uh, very thoughtful and wide-ranging uh, uh, talk. Um, very happy to now coordinate questions from the floor. Perhaps I'll just kick it off, because it seems to me we're sitting here uh, on a very interesting afternoon with a very important uh, legal proceeding happening literally around the corner, which impinges upon uh, the world that we've been discussing. Do you think in years to come we'll look back at this case as the sort of Dreyfus case of the digital era, or is something else going on? Well, I'm not going to comment on the uh, legal proceedings uh, around the corner, far from it, but if your comment is about the whole WikiLeaks uh, affair, I would say that... Um, uh, you know, I don't think people should say that the internet, because something happens on the internet, somehow it's different than if it happened on, uh, uh, in, a, in the physical, pre-digital world. You know, if uh, government documents are leaked uh, to a newspaper uh, and printed, then, uh, the, you know, this government has condemned those leaks. The American government obviously has very much condemned those leaks. Uh, just because the leaks happened as it were, digitally and, were, uh, and are on the web doesn't mean that uh, they're right. Uh, it doesn't make them a special case. It obviously leads one, all of us, to reflect on the nature of the digital age, the fact that 
it is harder to keep things private and that may change the way people do things but it doesn't necessarily mean that the action is right simply because it happened via the internet. So, first question from the floor. Hello, uh, my name is Kate Norman and I'm from Cumbria and I've come down to London this week to try and get the address, address the issue of broadband in my area um, and the issue of competition for getting to that final third and whether my council seem to be um, trying to give the, the um, powers to BT and to, um, to Virgin um, rather than and protecting their copper cables rather than really dealing with the, that final third and making sure we are a truly networked nation and it is a level, you know, a level playing field. Well, I think that's uh, very important. I mean, we're absolutely, uh, we're very keen for there to be a level playing field. Clearly, realistically, BT and Virgin Media have uh, already have a, an extensive network and will be in a position to work with local councils, but the impressive thing about Cumbria is the amount of community groups that do want to put in broadband and we obviously want those community groups to adhere to technical <coughs> standards so in effect that they are open access should, they, should the need arise as it were for other people to manage those networks but we want to give community broadband networks uh, the opportunity to uh, compete in this area that's why we want to drive down the cost of uh, rolling out broadband in terms of our deregulatory agenda and we have a genuine desire certainly in terms of the pilots, and one of which is in Cumbria, to ensure that everybody gets a fair crack of the whip. Uh, and certainly uh, there are interesting discussions going on, I gather, in Cumbria between the County Council and certain MPs who have taken an active interest in this issue about the most appropriate way forward. There's another lady there. Stand up so you can see me. Kay Hutchison, Bell Media. Um, I just wondered whether, in, in order to deliver on your broadband uh, Britain agenda, whether you thought that there was more that could be done to bring together some of the key parties that are involved in uh, the games, LOCOG, the OPLC that has that vast media centre out on the Olympic Park, um, Tech City and obviously Race on, Online. Um, because, you know, obviously they, they're, they're doing different things, but do you think there's more to be done to bring what, the work that they're doing together? Uh, in terms of the East End and uh, Silicon Roundabout? Or? Well, I mean, I, I personally think it's much wider than that, but obviously it needs to start there because that's where the, the catalyst is yeah. in terms of the games and Tech City. I mean, my understanding is that they, they are working closely together, but if you've got concerns, do by all means uh, let me know. Uh, and certainly, I take your point, perhaps, whether there's a, a wider programme as well, given the huge impact the Olympics is going to have, particularly on uh, the way we use technology uh, as it approaches. Uh, David Brown, um, there was a lot of criticism this morning on public sector, particularly government communications and online uh, what is being done to improve government communications, to put everything online, and also parliamentary communication as well? Well, uh, Martha Elaine Fox was asked by Francis Moore to do a review of uh, government uh, communications, and I think what she wants is a much more rational approach. I mean, I can't remember the... This is not my particular responsibility, but I think there are broadly something like potentially 1,400 different government websites ranging from you know, my own department's website through to specific uh, arm's length bodies or specific uh, access to different government services. Uh, she's 
extremely knowledgeable and persuasive on the kind of transactions that one does with government online and trying to move as many transactions with government online to drive people uh, to get online. Uh, and she wants to have, as it were, one gateway that you go through that you can then access. She wants to make sure that, although it sounds counterintuitive given that we're a decentralizing localist government, but she wants to make sure that government departments don't just simply go off and do their own thing on the web, that there is some element of coordination so that uh, uh, it's easy to navigate around uh, government services. So I think the problem has been acknowledged, which is why Martha Lane Fox conducted the review, and uh, that will be acted on. In terms of parliamentary uh, communications, uh, it is interesting. I mean, I find still Parliament's website quite complicated to use. If I want to check uh, online of an evening as it t where, where a debate is happening, uh, or when it's happening or whatever, or look for questions, I still find it hard to navigate. I still find it odd that we use the term Hansard on the parliamentary website when it should be debate transcripts or whatever. I know it sounds very untory to say that, but I think you know, you've got to use everyday language for people. Hi, it's Ben Cohen from Channel 4 News. Um, is there a need for greater regulation by the government of the internet and of, you know, A, you're going to have, you, if you look in the internet industry, you've got one search company has 90% of UK searches and the vast majority of advertising. There's one social network which has half the population on it. And really, I don't, I don't believe you have any choice whether you want to join it or not if you're part of, uh, certainly if you're under 30. Um, and there's another company which controls, which controls everything that's on my iPhone and everything that's on my iPad and has a monopoly over that. In other sectors and in the past, this would have been considered a monopoly and the government would have intervened should governments intervene, create greater regulation in that sector, or is there an argument for reducing the regulation in others? Where, you know, if you look at newspapers and television, for example. Yes, well, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, which I guess is Facebook for the middle-aged. My dad's um, on LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. Ben's dad is on LinkedIn. That kind of slam dunks it, doesn't it? Uh, well... I think that you're, again, it sort of comes full circle back to the uh, WikiLeaks point, which is just bec because you're an internet company doesn't mean that you're exempt from the competition rules. We've obviously seen uh, what the, com the commission is looking at uh, Google's uh, rankings, and I'm not going to comment on that because it's a, effectively a kind of quasi-judicial uh, process. But, you know, simply to comment that, uh, you know, they're looking at Google just as they might look at any other company where there have been complaints registered. Competition policy is quite rightly at arm's length from ministers. We can't dictate uh, who the competition authority should look at or indeed what the results of that competition inquiry uh, should be, as ITV has found out in terms of uh, CRR. But I don't think there should be a difference between an internet company and a, and, a, and a physical company in terms of how the competition rules apply. What I would say as well, though, is that I think the market will also... I mean, it is a highly competitive market, and one of the points about my open internet speech is that I think it remains extremely competitive. And if you're talking about certain providers who might, uh, you know, may, may not offer the kind of flexibility that people have got used to in using the internet, I think that the market uh, is likely to drive that kind of change as opposed to intervention by the regulatory authorities. Uh, Nico McDonald, uh, Big Potatoes Manifesto co-author and speaker on the innovation panel earlier on. Uh, we had a bit of a debate on our panel about creativity in 
on innovative new platforms. And I'd observe that the digital technologies that you're interest, rightly interested in and the creative industry have an interesting relationship because often they arise in order to solve existing problems, which is how to produce, distribute, market existing, uh, existing creative forms, if you like. It may be film, it may be design, it may be fashion. Uh, and then you realize that, in fact, instead of just reproducing old ways of doing things, you are untethered, if you like, and you can create new kinds of forms. So to take the classic example, early television was really radio with pictures, nothing like The Wire, which we talked about, or you know, any kinds of modern TV, X Factor, and so on. Uh, do you have a view or a policy, or is it beyond, do you think, the kind of role of government to encourage the creation of new forms of media and creative content in the same way as you know, we did with television and film and you know, arguably have done with publishing as we've had technologies that allow us to do more, that un unfetter us, if you like? Uh, I do think it's beyond uh, the uh, remit of government, obviously, to really kind of try and guide or... Uh, new technology or, or how content is um, developed, as it were, as uh, you know, technology becomes uh, all pervasive. I mean, I was talking to uh, Amazon this morning and discussing you know, how the book will change with the Kindle and the iPad just as a free-form discussion. I mean, it stands to reason, I think, that you might end up going back to the future, as it were, and downloading chapter by chapter or shorter books or books where video is embedded and so on. So, you know, the concept of the book, which has been you know, linked to the printed page, is clearly potentially ripe for change as technology becomes uh, all-pervasive. I think if you t take, as it were, what the underlying part of your question, you know, whether government should in intervene in public policy terms to support uh, innovation, as it were, uh, there are a range of different uh, interventions that government does, from tax credits in film through to... Uh, technology and innovation centres that we're going to uh, get up and running and there'll be one focused on the creative industries uh, through to you know, the regional growth fund and all sorts of other different elements of in intervention. I think in terms of tax credits, governments tend to intervene uh, as it were in competition with each other. So you want to attract businesses to uh, base themselves here and broadly speaking that tax competition is at the moment in the area of film but we've also obviously supported uh, because we had the levers to do it in the 80s and 90s, the growth of the independent production sector, because they had one platform, uh, terrestrial television, that they could go on. Whether that is now, whether that kind of intervention is needed in the digital age, I think is very questionable, because there are such a different range of platforms that people can have access to. And obviously, with my guarantee of the open internet, people will always be able to launch their businesses on the web. It's a very interesting um, point for Channel 4 because of course we're obliged to commission all of our content from the independent sector and not withhold the rights. Um, but your point about tax credit, said is, is a really interesting one. When you started I think you had some really interesting ideas about tax credits in the gaming area, which obviously economic realities probably um, uh, you know, impinged upon some of that. But from, from, from a Channel 4 point of view, we're going through an interesting period of consolidation an ownership change in the indie sector. The indie sector for us is very different to how it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, could, could well be that there's a, a really strong role for, for some of the, in a sense, wealth that's been created in that sector to be reinvested back into this next wave of, of, uh, of, of digital innovation that's coming through tax credits. So 
tax credits in the area of television probably is something that might be worth worthy of future <coughs> debate as well as building on what's been done in film. Always open to debate. There's <laughs> a question there. Hello, Kenny Campbell from uh, Metro. From a, an international perspective, who do you think should bear responsibility for policing and censoring the internet? Well, we have, uh, I mean, the, the method that I'm most in favour of is obviously uh, self-regulation. So uh, we have the Internet Watch Foundation and we were a pioneer in getting that uh, up and running in terms of uh, obviously child abuse and quite rightly the industry has come together uh, and tackles those, that, that problem pretty effectively. I mean, technology makes it incredibly difficult uh, to tackle that issue. I, uh, we have the Digital Economy Act in terms of uh, being a, a tool that we can use to try and combat illegal piracy, which will come on stream uh, next year. But again, I'm very keen to see self-regulatory solutions, i.e. ISPs and rights holders, music, film, television, coming together to provide legitimate services that people can buy. Uh, and uh, we had a debate on internet pornography uh, in the Commons two weeks ago. And again, I think the Internet Watch Foundation provides a potential uh, model uh, in terms of uh, the industry working together to uh, look at uh, what content uh, is unacceptable and to work with parents. I also think that we do need as much clear guidance for parents as possible in how to uh, protect their kids from harm. Because that's broadly speaking what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about protecting children from inappropriate content. I mean, we've got to be grown up about it and accept that you know, adults have the right to access uh, legal content uh, within, within reason. Um, Andrea Westall, I'm just asking a, a question about um, consumer protection because it hasn't really come up today. So, and I'm just thinking partly about sort of the virus things that went around recently saying, you know, you've got a malicious virus on your computer, it's going to destroy everything, to something that happened to me yesterday when my smartphone decided it wasn't going to work, so after deciding my life had ended for about half an hour. Um, I then tried to find a mobile repair place on the internet. Did that, got a quotation. Um, I was about to send it off to get it, to get it done because it needed to be done. I thought, no, I'll take it in. I then tried to contact them, find out where they were. They didn't seem to exist. I Googled them, tried to find out if they were a scam, etc. So it's, I think we've been talking today a lot about the big companies, the ones we know, the Amazons, etc. But I think there might be an issue, and whether or not this is a government thing or a governance in, in the way in which it's not there at the moment, around small firms and how the consumer interacts with them. Uh, well, I think that's a massive uh, question which can be answered in a number of different ways, uh, or at least taken forward in a number of different ways, because I don't think I can provide you uh, with an answer. You know, the pat answer is that consumer protection legislation exists and it can protect you. It should, in theory, protect you as much on the internet as uh, it protects you in uh, real life. And people get scammed, as it were, in the physical world as, as, as they can get scammed in the uh, digital world. But I think it uh, raises a number of issues. One is about joined up government on the internet. Uh, I think it's important that government departments, you know, talk to each other about the different areas where the internet is impacting on them so that, you know, for example, on the issue of child safety, a number of government departments meet on a regular basis to talk about <coughs> issues of child safety online. That's led by the Department for Education, but DCMS sends a minister, Biz sends a minister, and so on. Home Office sends a minister. So those are all issues where 
people meet online. And I would like to see more of that happening on a range of different issues. Uh, and consumer protection would be uh, potentially an obvious one. It also raises the issue, the controversial issue of the role of ISPs uh, in the web. And I've gone on record saying I don't think ISPs are dumb pipes, but nor can I nor can one seriously contemplate that they would police, obviously, uh, everything on the web. And again, that's why I favour a self-regulatory solution. I don't see how you could regulate in that area and impose uh, that kind of burden on a, a kind of blunt instrument burden on ISPs. But I do think that more of those uh, conversations need to happen uh, and there does need to be more responsibility in this area. Uh, John Smythe, more of a comment, really. When you were talking... Uh, your very early comments about uh, WikiLeaks, it, it sort of came across to me as a sort of the boy standing on the beach with a bucket in the face of the tsunami. I just was rather surprised at your, your comments there. Could you, like, could you expand? Well, uh, that's a fair comment. <laughs> I mean, in the sense that the point I was making was that there are kind of two sides to this debate. Uh, one is, one side which I don't particularly agree with, well, I don't agree with, is to say that because something happens on the internet, somehow it's okay it's the Wild West, the rules don't apply. You know, if you nick something, you know, I'm in charge of the Digital Economy Act, if you take music, I don't, you know, I don't think that should be allowed, and I think we should do all that we can to combat it. Uh, so if you nick state government <laughs> secrets just because you've put them up on the web doesn't make it okay in the same way it wouldn't make it okay if you delivered them to a newspaper. Now, you know, at that point, you're into the realms of politics. You, know, you can use the law or you can take a sensible decision. The other side of the equation, which is your boy standing on the beach in the face of his tsunami analogy, is again the point I made, which is that uh, you may say that this is wrong, but you also have to face up to the fact, as we are doing, as it were, with the Digital Economy Act, that the best solution is for uh, commercial solutions to be found so that people can buy music legitimately and be offered a credible legal alternative. Uh, and therefore, in the issue of data protection, as it were, or keeping things private that used to be relatively easy to keep private, clearly thinking has to go on, at the, other, on the other side to say, well, if you allow, uh, you know, it's now very easy to steal things which are digital, so we've got to think very hard about you know, what we put on these systems and how we allow people to access them. You can't simply stand there and say, well it's an outrage that it's been taken, even though it is an outrage that it has been taken. Hi, I'm Lucy Huberman. I'm Professor of Digital Media and Innovation at Warwick. Um, but I've had a career in the creative economy for some time, including working for Channel 4. Um, could you tell us a bit more about what you hope to get from your digital and creative industries growth review? Uh, the reason I ask, obviously you can't tell us what it's going to say, is that, that it's a sector that's been reviewed constantly for 20 years and every time there's a review uh, what we hear is it's a sector that's growing twice as fast as every other area of the economy it's full of creative people it's wonderful and then and then what and so what I'm curious to know is really how what you're going to do with it well I think it's always worth uh, reviewing things again and again uh, we are the department of growth in biz I should uh, hasten to add not DCMS but the this is the Department of Growth, and you'll be pleased to know that the creative industries are not being singled out for a review. We're reviewing everybody. <laughs> Everybody's getting a growth review, and I'm growth reviewing the creative industries, and I'm growth reviewing professional business services. So they'll be reviewed by me, and somebody else will growth review manufacturing. And if you can think of any other sector off the top of your head, they'll be growth reviewed by another <laughs> minister. 
So everybody's getting a growth review, and then uh, we'll get growth policies, which will come out in the budget. Well, I'll definitely contribute to your review. But what I case. hope was indicated by the clarity of my speech was that it will bring together <laughs> a range of different issues which need constant review. So uh, intellectual property, uh, access to finance, which I personally think is probably the most important, and it goes back to the issue of tax credits. I mean, the reason one tends to talk tax credits in the creative industries is it's all about risk financing, uh, and creative industries are seen as the riskiest uh, investment. And procurement. Yeah, I think that's a good one to add in. It wasn't on my list, but we're going to put that in. Great. Well, uh I think, could you join me in thanking Ed for the generosity of his time and his comments? How many hostages to fortune in that Q&A? <laughs> Not too many. Thank Why? you very much.